0: You're listening to the Ruby on
1: Rails podcast.
2: You're listening to episode 413, and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin.
1: And I'm your co-host, Brian Mariani.
2: Joe Masalati is an independent developer who specializes in Ruby on Rails, iOS, and automated testing. He helps clients port their Rails applications to iOS with Turbo Native, like Hay and Basecamp. Right now, Joe is building Rails devs in public. Welcome to the Ruby
0: on Rails podcast, Joe. Hi, thanks for having me. Super excited to be here.
2: It has been a long time coming, so I'm so glad that you're here. And of course, Joe, I need to know, what is your developer origin story?
0: So I didn't get a CS degree or a traditional one in college. I did engineering, was like training to be some logistics manager or something. But for my senior thesis, I built an Android app and just like fell in love with coding. So out of school, I got a job at like a big bank and started doing .NET and JavaScript, and it just like wasn't for me, so I transitioned more towards iOS, had someone there who mentored me into iOS, really liked building iOS apps, did that for a few years, and finally moved over to Pivotal Labs. I was there for a number of years doing Ruby on Rails, iOS, and really liked TDD and the whole testing philosophy, but really started to fall in love with like how quickly it was to spin up something in Rails. So from there, I moved on to a smaller startup where I was the only developer for like five years, (laughs) kind of a crazy time in my life. And there we were building a majestic monolith with Rails and needed an iPhone app. So pretty much taught myself Turbo Native, was working with the Basecamp folks at the time, like Sam Stevenson on Turbo Links and got a lot of help from them and built the Turbo Native app with a lot of help there before it was really released. And about two and a half years ago, I went independent. And now I'm doing consulting, converting a lot of Rails apps into iOS with Turbo Native and doing more and more product development. So like Rails devs and Jumpstart and stuff like that.
2: Well, you are certainly one of the most positive people in our community, which we definitely appreciate you for. And so there seems to be like a whole story behind Rails Dev. So I'm curious, like, what is it and what is the end goal of it?
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. So Rails Dev started from a problem that I was experiencing personally. I had way too many leads, like too many people wanted to work with me both on a Rails context or a Turbo Native context. So I started just creating a list of developers that were ready to work. Literally a Google sheet of like 40 devs that were just like, I'm ready to start on this date. These are my specialties. Please connect me with someone. And I started sharing that list with some friends who were hiring or looking for part-time Rails help. And almost immediately I placed like two or three people. It was amazing to see just like instant gratification, like instant connections. Got a ton of great feedback from them. How easy the process was, like from a direct connection, like not dealing with probably skipping a first-round interview, not dealing with job descriptions, just like, hey, this person's great. Hey, this company's great. Someone even mailed me a frozen pizza to say thank you from Emily Squared (laughs) (laughs) in New York, which was amazing. And pretty much that night, as I was like finishing the pizza, I was like, there's something here. I'm onto something. And I started writing the first, what will eventually be the first commit to Rails devs that night. That's so awesome.
2: First of all, I believe that most startups should start as a Google Sheet. So you were really proving me right there. Yeah. Now, how do the dynamics work between the developers and the people who are looking for someone for work?
0: Yeah, the site's main goal is to really empower the developer. So instead of it being a job board where Businesses kind of talk all they want about their business and developers are required to reach out and pitch themselves and hope that the business responds. It's completely flipped. Developers post their profiles and businesses reach out to them. And this encourages something really awesome. It encourages organic conversation, not tell me about the role. Here's how I can help. What's the rate? It's more of, Hey, what are you interested in? Do you think you can help with this? Do you have any ideas on this? And those conversations lead to way better, in my experience, just way better relationships between client and company or full-time hire even. And a lot of the conversations end up only after a few messages moving immediately to like a video chat or a first round interview. And it's really been really exciting to see that just progress so quickly versus the week slog of like sending a resume in and waiting to hear back and all of that brokenness of that platform.
2: When I heard it, it definitely reminded me, I lived in San Francisco. We're getting close to almost 10 years ago when hired became a thing where it was like that reverse job search. And what was it? It was originally developer auction, right? Which is kind of wild. And so I like that you're taking a, a different approach. Now, you mentioned that the conversations then go off platform. Maybe they might go into a video call or they might go into email. Is that your preference or do you eventually want to have that all on platform?
0: My preference right now is that whatever works for the business and the developer, like go for it. I haven't spent the time to build out anything more than like an in-app messaging platform. There's no video calling. There's no hiring directly. There's no like contract building down the road. I'd love to build all of those in, but right now it's about just creating that great experience and getting as many people on the platform as possible. So for now, yeah, hop on Zoom, send a Savvy Cal link, do whatever you got to do to have a video call. But in the future, yeah, expect those things to be built into Rails Devs.
2: I love that. So one really cool thing about interviewing for this podcast is the fact that Rails Devs is open source. So I'm in your code base, I'm reading your full requests, <laughs> I'm reading the issues, which is really fun for me. Why did you build it as open source?
0: I struggle with open source i've tried to get involved so many times in the past and i always feel like i'm fighting this uphill battle of like here's this really niche program that i only use as a dependency of a dependency and i don't really know how it works and i felt that there was a lack of product-based open source software especially like full-on sasses and in the rail space so i was like this could be really fun to make this open source and just like see how it goes and i have just been blown away by the support of people that have contributed and helped out and offered their advice or feedback. And it's been a lot of fun. And what has surprised, not surprised me the most, but what has just been such a great learning experience is that I have learned how to do like code review and product management and kind of people management during this. I'm an independent developer the past like two and a half years, right? So I don't really deal with a lot of other developers day to day. This has been a really cool way to, Get a little bit of that experience without having to dive into like a full time job where I'm managing people. And I didn't expect to like that, but it's been a lot of fun.
2: Has anyone forked the repository yet?
0: Yeah. So Ben Greenberg, who I think was on a few episodes ago, has forked it to hirethepivot.com, which is a whole reverse job board for second career developers. And I believe he's following the same business model. He already has like a paying customer or two, which is super exciting. We chat all the time about that, and he's even pushed some changes
1: upstream. That's great, Joe. What has the community response been so far from Twitter Hacker News, Reddit, et cetera? Twitter has been just amazing.
0: Twitter and GitHub, I have had so many people that are excited about it, following the journey, excited to contribute, and really just grateful for all of that. Reddit has been (laughs) kind of love-hate, as Reddit usually is. Some people are this is great. I sign up immediately. Let me submit a PR. And other people are like, oh, well, this will never scale because it's only Rails developers. Or why don't you do this for this other platform that you've never heard of? So Reddit's been interesting. And I haven't launched on like Product Hunt or Hacker News yet officially. So I'll let you know maybe next time.
2: I do have to confess that I have seen all of your Reddit posts and I agree with you, Joe. Like, it is people who are like congratulating you. And unfortunately, there's a little bit of the cesspool that is Reddit on there. But you do, like I mentioned earlier, you are such a positive person that every single comment that could be construed as negative, you managed to turn it around, which is almost your superpower at this point.
0: I very much appreciate that. That has always been my goal with any sort of online interactions. It's like, even if you are saying something negative, There's something to learn and something to pick up there. So don't just ignore it, see what they really mean, trying to figure out how you can spin it. And I appreciate that you noticed that, thank you.
2: If you've been considering trying Honey Badger, now is the time. They have two really cool new features I just learned about. They now have status pages and can monitor your SSL certs. Whether US East one is down or you forgot to add a configuration file, everyone has an outage from time to time. When your next outage occurs, transparency is critical. The difference between a minor annoyance that people soon forget and a fiasco that creates sustained resentment is in how you communicate. They just shipped an update that can help communicate outages to your customers, public status pages with custom domains and branding. Many certificate authorities such as Let's Encrypt will automatically renew your SSL certificates for you. But if you manage your own certificates, you have to remember to renew them yourself. If you forget, your customers won't be able to access your website and Honey Badger will sound the alarm. HoneyBadger Uptime Monitoring can now warn you before your SSL certificates expire so that you remember to update them before your customers are affected. Check out HoneyBadger.io to learn more. You're getting to Greenfield, a project, which is always really fun. And, you know, you've been into it for a couple months now. Have you made any specific technical decisions around the site that you're particularly proud of and that you would do again?
1: Yeah,
0: there's two that I would definitely do again. And the first one is hopping on Rails seven really before it was released. I was pointing to master for, I don't know, maybe a month or two, maybe actually, maybe even longer. And this really enabled me to dive like head first into the whole new ecosystem of Rails seven with ES build and JS bundling and CSS bundling. And having those from the beginning means that I took a little bit of time to get them going and dealt with all of the beta and alpha builds, of course, but. I never had to worry about that transition to Rails 7, which a lot of my clients also have struggled with because it's a big change. And I just hate Webpacker. So <laughs> being able to skip that entirely has been really nice. The second decision, it's kind of a boring decision, but like I stick to the boring Rails stack. There's no fancy JavaScript front end. There's really barely any hotwire. I like just added a hotwire frame a hotware powered form last week to one of the really important messaging forms. So really layering in that stuff slowly and just building out a HTML over the wire basic crud app that is boring has been really nice and really like a relief and it enables a lot more developers to get on the platform and contribute because the code ends up being a kind of more obvious to work through.
2: I love that because then you could end up generating some like really low hanging fruit for junior developers who need open source contributions. And this is something that people are going to recognize. So I think that's a really good approach to it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I try to be really diligent about posting issues that are tagged as good for first time contributors. And that's been really helpful in getting like, I think five people already have had their first GitHub contribution to be on Rails devs, which is so exciting.
2: That is so exciting. Now, I have another question for you, but I want to try to guess the answer. So my next question for you is, what has been the easiest breakthrough? And my guess is going to be that you had a lot of developers to seed the site, but I'm curious if that's the answer.
0: Yeah, that's both the easiest part and the hardest part. (laughs) The easiest part there is that I've had really good luck with people picking up this up on Twitter. Chris Oliver, for example, tweeted about it on day one when I launched and was like, hey, I'm developer number two on Rails devs. And just like, boom, I received dozens of new profiles on day one, like while I was still trying to figure out how to set up my email to not go to spam on the welcome email. <laughs> and that's been a huge breakthrough and just really jump started, to use one of Chris's terms, jump started the whole app and has created a really good experience right from the beginning. Something that I am been super grateful for also is I expected to post this on GitHub and it just be like a ghost town. Cool. There's a new Rails open source app and people use it for examples. Maybe, maybe I'll get a couple stars and there's like 30 plus contributors. It's like 250 something stars at this point. I never would have expected that to pick up so quickly. And I'm so excited that I chose to do open source in the beginning because it's enabled me to not have to worry about the whole, well, let's remove this credential from the production environment. It's all ready for open source. It's ready to be forked. There's a production document if you want to fork it and run your own site that you just like follow step by step and you're good to go. So that's been just very eye-opening and in in like a really good way.
1: That's great. And I think you did mention it a little bit, the developer piece maybe being one of the tougher problems, but I'd be curious what else might have you been facing here as, as sort of some of the tough problems as you've launched Rails Devs.
0: Yeah. One of the toughest problems that I'm working through right now is totally unrelated to the code or the platform or anything like that. It's the fact that I'm building a marketplace and marketplaces are inherently hard to market. There are two sides to it, right? There's the developers looking for jobs. There's the businesses trying to find great developers. And it's not really possible or beneficial to market to both of them at the same time. You kind of have to choose which one you're marketing to on every single page. So instead of Having to decide every single time I create a new page or a new, I don't know, landing page or whatever you want to call it, I'm focusing 100% on the developer experience. All of my marketing is for developers, is for getting new devs on the site, having them have a more comfortable, more beneficial experience to getting hired. And it's showing like I'm getting more and more people signing up every day. But I think there's still a lot of work to do on the other side because just because there are a ton of developers doesn't mean that businesses are going to join. And they are, but they're joining slowly for manual outreach. And I haven't really cracked that nut on how to market to them on site.
1: Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions as well. Just sort of what it has been like to work with employers. And I noticed obviously you help contractors, you know, independent folks, as well as looks like there's possibility for a full-time. Have you seen the market kind of lean one way or the other? Is it kind of an even mix or do you get more people looking for contractors, more people looking for full-time?
0: Right now, I'd say it's trending more towards full-time employers. At the beginning, when I was marketing more towards solopreneurs and bootstrappers and stuff, I was getting more, as expected, businesses in that realm. A lot of people that were like, hey, I need someone for two hours a week for two months, or I need someone for 10 hours tomorrow. And that's great. And I still want to be able to serve that market. And that's why there is the the cheaper plan for those businesses. But for the folks that are hiring full-time... That is where I'm starting to see a shift now. In the past like two weeks, I've spoken to, I think, five different companies that are excited to hire like two to three Rails devs each, both from junior to senior. And that's really exciting because placing someone full-time is a whole nother level than giving someone a couple hours a week for a part-time role. And both are beneficial and both will help give that person financial freedom. But
1: finding someone a full-time job has a certain sparkle to it for sure. I know that well, no doubt. (laughs) And the listeners may or may not know, but Mirror's parent company, Atlantis, as I'm sure you know, has signed up and, and we've used it and certainly seems great. We've noticed, and this has been a blind spot for us, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like you've done a great job at allowing a lot of international developers to kind of land on the platform and to be able to help them. And that's one spot that over the course of my career with Mirror, We've never been able to quite figure out the international side of things. Obviously, we've done, I think, a nice job helping U.S.-based developers and and U.S.-based companies. But have you found that just like a lot of international folks have been gravitating to Rails devs?
0: I have. Now that you mention it, we recently added a way to add your location because a lot of businesses were saying, hey, I can only hire in these countries because of either HR reasons or like... A lot of companies have been looking for specific countries to hire in or specific states even due to regulatory reasons or HR reasons or preference, you know, whatever. So I've been starting to keep my eye on where countries that pop up and there's a lot of U.S. developers for sure, but there's also a ton of Canada, a ton of South America and a ton overseas. It's crazy to see how many people are signing up that like don't speak English or English is their second language. And having the site starting to be translated into a third and now fourth language, I think is what has enabled those developers to feel comfortable on it and have enabled them to say, oh, I understand what this is saying because it's in my native tongue. So I'm going to sign up because that is just like going to be a better experience overall for me.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's really nice that you're able to extend to the international community like that and have so many of those foreign devs give them the chance to find some meaningful work. So that's awesome. I also noticed that you, I believe, removed the expected compensation piece. Tell us about that and the thought process there. Yeah, I could have an entire podcast episode about this.
0: (laughs) The short answer is that setting an expected rate becomes a race to the bottom for the businesses. They just are going to sort. I saw almost immediately businesses sorting developers by lowest cost first and just reaching out to the top five there. And that's not the experience that I want to create. That doesn't create a good relationship between the developer and the business. It creates poor expectations on the type of work that you're going to receive. And it shorthands the developer. And this site is all about empowering the developer and giving them financial freedom. You shouldn't be charging based on the time that you put in, in my opinion. You should be charging based on the value that you provide to the company. And you can't do that by saying, I charge between this rate and this rate, or I charge this per project. You need to have a talk with the company and say, okay, this is how much value you think you'll bring in. And then price yourself based on that. And that's really scary and that's really hard. And it's something that more senior devs are going to be better at or people that have more experience in consulting. But I'm trying to level up these folks and make sure that they understand that and get to a point where they can charge way more than they ever expected and can provide just as much value, if not more value to these companies. And by removing expected compensation from the site, by removing expected compensation from the site, that is just the first step in getting those folks there.
1: Great.
2: This episode is also brought to you by Scout APM. Scout is an industry leader in application performance monitoring. This low overhead tool is designed to help Ruby developers find and fix performance issues. Scout's intuitive UI and tracing logic ties bottlenecks to specific lines of code and allows you to quickly pinpoint and resolve issues like N plus one queries, slow database queries, memory bloat, and more. Scout's unlimited seats and applications allow teams to collaborate without additional costs and makes it easy for any member of your team to become a performance pro. See for yourself why developers worldwide call Scout their best friend with a free 14-day trial, no credit card needed. As a special offer for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash rubyonrails.
1: What are your thoughts on sticking to Rails? Do you feel like kind of given the platform and what it does, obviously it could extend beyond Rails. Do you think you may ever go outside Rails, maybe to iOS or something like that? I will hint here for the valued listeners that I own (laughs) iosdevs.co
0: and I haven't actually started the code on it yet, but I am definitely planning on forking this to an iOS version. And there are also... Some talks of teaming up with someone who might build this out for Elixir as well. But iOS is my other expertise outside of Rails. So that's where I'd want to focus because I have a little bit of an audience there. I've done a lot of iOS work on my blog and just, you know, the Turbo Native thing. But my long-term plan for this, and this is like a total pipe dream, is what if this becomes a white-labeled reverse job board site? What if you can sign on to whateverdevs.com and like spin up your own reverse job board without any code? That seems really cool. And for it to continue to be open source kind of follows the dev.2 with the form platform. And maybe that's a super long, lofty goal. But if I ever had to hope for something for Rails devs is that it becomes something that works for everyone.
2: I am absolutely grinning right now because I get really excited when I get an exclusive on the podcast. So thank you for that, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> I promise I won't link that up in the show notes because it doesn't lead anywhere yet, but eventually it will parked by (laughs) hover.com. Perfect. (laughs) That's the kind of content we want. (laughs) Thanks. But in all honesty, I love that you have a vision for it going outside of yourself. It can be very tempting to want it to be completely controlled by you, but I love that you have the attitude of I'm making this thing open source. If people fork it, if people manipulate it, that's totally okay. It's just, I'm adding value to the community and it might not be a community that you're in. We might see uh, LaravelDevs.co oh, yeah. at some point. That's great. And what's really cool about that, though, is anybody who forks it is using Ruby. And that's what we want, right? We want people using the language that we love. And so overall, it's just a good thing for the community.
0: A hundred percent. Yeah, I don't want to see someone create LaravelDevs.com and it be written in Laravel. I want it to be written in Rails and I want to see that progress and see upstream changes and see how awesome Ruby is for a PHP developer. And yeah, I'm I'm with you there. Totally.
2: So twofold, how can listeners get involved in both the code base and getting onto the platform?
0: Getting onto the platform is railsdevs.com. There's a big get started button and you can add your profile. If you are looking for freelance work or you're looking for a new full-time gig, I highly recommend hopping on and filling out your profile and just talking about all the awesome stuff that you've done. If you add your profile and want some extra help, shoot me an email or reach out on Twitter and I will give you a personal review of that and offer some tips on how to improve it from the experience that I've had looking at people who have been reached out to a bunch. If you want to get involved in the code base, there is a link, I think at the bottom that just says open source, but it's the repo is railsdevs.com under my name. And there are a couple good for first time contributor issues that are flagged that we could use some help on. Some of them are really simple changes that might only be one or two lines, like tweaking the color of something or a submit button isn't disabling. But there are also some bigger picture stuff like trying to add accounts versus users to the system that I've been struggling with for a long time. So if you want to give high level advice or have experience based on those type of things, all contributions are welcome, even if it's not code.
2: That's so great. Now, in the spirit of positivity, let's talk about RailsConf for a moment. So I am on the program committee and I'm going to publicly say that I recused myself from reviewing Joe's talk because I very much knew it was Joe just because of the topic of it. But in light of positivity and making things good when they might not seem positive, your talk was not accepted to RailsConf, but instead you had an idea and I'd love for you to talk about it.
0: So my talk was... Going to be on porting your Rails app to iOS with TurboNative, the thing that I do for multiple clients day in and day out. And instead of doing the talk at RailsConf because it was rejected, I'm going to be running a private workshop. So I haven't nailed down all the details about this, but expect it to be a hands-on live training. You're in Xcode, you're in your, your IDE, you're in your text editor, writing Rails, writing Ruby, writing Swift, getting your Rails app or a sample project to work on your iPhone. And the goal at the end of that is for you to feel comfortable enough that you could start working with the framework and working with Turbo iOS. And hopefully a few weeks after that, be in a point where you could submit to the app store. And if you're looking for more information on that, I am starting to talk about it in my newsletter. I run a monthly Hotwire newsletter, which you can sign up for on my website. I'm sure there'll be a link in the show notes. And it's mazalotti.com if you know how to spell my last name. Awesome. Will we still see you at RailsConf? I will 100% be at RailsConf. I already bought my ticket and I actually live in Portland now, so I will be around for sure.
2: Voodoo Donuts, is it worth (laughs) it?
0: Well, I'm going to have a lot of uh, opinions coming back to me on this one, I'm sure. (laughs) If you've never been, it's worth going. And there are some really fun donuts to try, but there are better donut spots in Portland.
2: That is exactly what I've heard. So you must be living in Portland. It is verified. (laughs) Well, Joe, we always wrap up. As someone who is so invested in the Rails community, I want to get your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities.
0: Rails 7, to me, even though it's not in the future, was a giant milestone. I mentioned before how much I despise Webpacker. Bringing all of that back into the Rails ecosystem in the form of JS bundling, CSS bundling, made me really love the front-end part of Rails again. And I'm not even talking about Hotwire yet. I'm just saying like, if I want to get Tailwind going, why do I have to set up an entire JavaScript stack on my machine just to write some CSS? And I understand that it's written in JavaScript, but whatever. Rails 7 being where it is right now makes it feel so much more like it did like back in like the 4.2 days, which is when I got involved, where you just like write some awesome Ruby and you have an awesome web app that does awesome things. And there's way less just cruft to worry about. And that plus Hotwire really feels like it's here to stay for me. And I'm really excited to learn more and more about this. Where I see Rails in the future, though, is that I'm holding off for even more support for Hotwire, even more adoption. The documentation is lacking. I'd love to start contributing there. I'd love to see more people start contributing to documentation, especially on Hotwire and Turbo. But Where I really see the community going forward is more towards that like omakase type, the Rails is for everyone and being able to build profitable businesses either completely by yourself or with a huge, ginormous team. And I'm excited for that because I think that we're one step closer with Rails 7 and I haven't really dug into what is up next for Rails 8, but I really like where the ecosystem is, is leaning right now. That's great. Before we go, Joe, how can listeners follow you? So I'm most active on Twitter. You can follow me at Joe Mazzalotti And I also run a monthly Hotwire newsletter. And you can sign up for that on Masalati.com. If you're interested in being a part of Rails Devs, I'd love to see you contribute or add your developer profile. That is railsdevs.com. And if you can't spell my last name, there will be a link in the show notes.
2: There sure will. Joe, thank you so much for joining Brian and I on the show today. It was really great to hear the origin story of Rails devs. I think you're building something really special. It's just going to keep growing out our community. And in the end, isn't that what we all
1: want?
0: I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. And I'm looking forward to meeting you in person at RailsConf.
1: You've been listening to the Rupion
0: Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.